only token computer on my mobile phone or the tablet? We mostly did your two tablets <laughs> and your mobile phone. And I still don't do it. <laughs> no, but now you can watch Made in Chelsea. Oh. But I haven't done it at all. <laughs> I know how to get it, but I haven't had time. So. I was the busiest person. I'm busier so than busy. Satan. Welcome back to Linkage, let's talk to episode five, I believe. And today we are discussing learning, which is our fourth way of well-being. There are major benefits to learning throughout your life and not just during your school years. For example, the satisfaction of progress and meeting small goals has been shown to really benefit your physical and mental well-being. And we're gonna discuss that today. In particular, this five ways to well-being paper that I keep mentioning stresses the importance of both formal and informal learning. So that's great news for all you podcast addicts out there. So today we are talking to Lily Neubauer, a PhD student who pioneered the Computer Aid Network at Linkage Plus. Students involved in the Computer Aid Network help older people with their technology, teaching them to use their tablets or something to do with their phones. And in exchange, they receive coding lessons. And Lily makes some really interesting parallels between the two concepts and why they inform each other so well. And then we are also talking to Alma, a retired, and that is in quotes, as you will see why, a retired nurse and an all-round great storyteller. Alma uses the computer aid network amongst the many hundreds of other activities she does every week. Although it feels hard to believe, on a final note, I have to say that we recorded this during the heat wave in the summer. And when I say heat wave, I mean the week that we pretended that it was summer in the UK. We did have fans on and doors open and there were some people passing through. So there is quite a lot of background noise in this episode. However, I really hope you stick with us. Both Alma and Lily have some really, really interesting things to say. And I think it's worth staying. So on that note, I will leave you with Alma. I'm a nearly 75-year-old Trinidadian. And my name is Alma, but it's also Lily. That's my mother's pet name. She said I looked so pale, I was white as a lily. So I came over here to England in 1970. That was to start my nurse training in Windsor. And why I came was because my father had died and they needed the money for the younger ones to be able to... I'm lucky number 13, by the way. There were 17 of us. The four boys had to go to school. I said to my mother that I will go to England to do the nursing, but when I'm finished, I will go to university to become an accountant because that is what my father had wanted for me. I was very good at maths. I went and with, you know, not having any idea of what nursing was going to be like. So I started the six-week training and then we used to just go in for snatches to practice. But then when I went onto the ward, it was an elderly care ward. And from the minute I touched the ward, I thought, this is what I want. So that's it. I never became my mother said, but daddy wanted you to be an accountant. I said, well, yes, I transfer money from the left side of the brain. To the right. <laughs> and it's not much money because at the time, I think it was 133 pounds for 196 hours a month. And then once I was finished with roughly, as I said, I came to Great Ormond Street and did the course. 
I staffed for nearly a year at Guy's on the cardiothoracic ward for ch children. I think it was called Rothschild. And then I applied for a Night Sisters post at St. Stephen. So that was in my eighth year as a nurse. But I still felt that I didn't have enough experience to have to be dealing, working in big hospitals at all. So I did a post-registration course in pediatric cardiothoracic nursing at the Royal Brompton. And then after that, I became night sister again at Queen Elizabeth Children's Hospital, which was the sister hospital to Great Ormond Street. And uh, the neonatal intensive care unit at the time accepted children from most parts of England for gastroschisis, which is when the baby's born, the whole of the intestines are out open because there is the abdominal wall hasn't met to knit. And so we used to have to treat them, ventilate them and things like that, and then they had to have surgery. I used to do a lot of teaching at night with the students. Well, in the 80s, you had schools of nursing attached to the hospital. So Great Ormond Street had the Charles West School of Nursing. The director of education called me and said that they were hearing all these good things. They wanted me to become a teacher. So I said, well, I'm not qualified. And they said, that's not a problem. You will, you will get your teaching qualification. So they paid for that and for my first degree. I was very lucky. Can I ask a question? Please. Please. Yes. Is it not like very emotionally difficult doing all the children's intensive care stuff? Well, it it might have been yes you know when they have to be pricked and things like that but i remember in midwifery we delivered a baby that was just over i think 22 weeks and and i thought jesus what's happening here i was in the neonatal intensive care unit and i watched that child metamorphose into a baby and when she took two mils they opened a bottle of champagne and all of us <laughs> had a little oh sip of champagne so that was, was 1974 and in the 70s surviving from 21 weeks i think she was 22 weeks because it was just viable incredible story and then on the other hand we had one that was born Mum was six foot one, I think dad must have been six foot five. The mum was Canadian, the dad was Norwegian or something, and a 13 pound baby came out and filled the cot. So you had one baby upstairs fitting in your hand and one baby filling a cot. <laughs> the rest of my working life was in pediatrics, but I still maintained my adult nursing input as an agency nurse yeah. and a bank nurse. I don't know that there are many triply qualified nurses around. No, but there aren't. I can barely commit to like a one-week course. <laughs> this is really good for me. What do I do yeah. now? I work as a care assistant, but some of the things they ask me to do, because they know I'm a nurse, they will put more, give me more responsibility. And I don't mind, it doesn't really bother me. But apart from that, um, the, I used to be in a drama group and spare tire, but they are now doing work with people with dementia. And um, I 
come in three choirs. And then at the moment, I do line dancing. When is that? When is that? When is that? On a Thursday. And I do keep fit on a Wednesday morning. And we did do the ballet, the English National Ballet classes here. That's finished last week. I do another lot of Tai Chi at Toynbee Hall Book Club. And also, I do Tai Chi in Victoria Park with you three. And you also work nights. And yes, work nights. So that's what you were doing last night. Yeah. Very generous of you to come in this mm. morning. It would not have been so bad, except that they had me in intensive care. So you had to be monitoring somebody all the time. Mm. Yeah. It's just on the go. I'm Lily. I'm about to start a PhD, and I just finished doing an undergraduate degree in computer science. Um, so I used to be an audio engineer and then changed career in my mid-twenties and wanted to do computing. And basically, when I was at uni and then COVID happened, because people knew that I was doing computing stuff, people would ask me to help them with all kinds of computer and smartphone problems. And especially people would ask me to help their older relatives with it because people would be like, I was trying to teach my grandma about this, but then we ended up getting really cross with each other and I can't do it anymore. Can you talk to her about it? So I was doing that, doing some coding teaching as well. And then it occurred to me that there's quite a lot of demand and maybe we could combine those into a project. So that's where the computer aid network came from. We basically teach young people to code in return for them volunteering with mm. older people to just help in general with like tech. So we're bridging the intergenerational <laughs> Got all the buzzwords out, but yeah, that is what we're doing, yeah. <laughs> and how did you find out about Linkage Plus? So I'm not from East London, I'm from North-ish London. But when I was a kid, my mom, she's a GP, she used to work in the GP surgery down in Wapping. I'd spent quite a lot of time in this area and then volunteered here, actually, at Snarly Gardens when I was like 18. Just general volunteering and I remembered like how much I love this place like it has such a good atmosphere so when we were doing the computer project we were looking for community centers to partner with and I was like let's see and as soon as I contacted Frances she was like yes <laughs> we need this we've also worked with Toynbee Hall and we did have a center in North London but these ones Toynbee Hall and here has definitely been the most committed to it and also just having the most demand the the best atmosphere of creating a really fun group and what brought you here was it the computer program no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> this building used to be a home for i think mostly catholics and elderly men and women there was one chap who used to live in the back he was irish and he had his own little area so i used to go in and take communion for him and, and then it all changed to this when i um retired i took a year off from doing anything it was just finding my feet can i just say that i can't believe you're retired because that doesn't sound <laughs> like retirement to like and um you no longer ago you had the, the east end newspaper and i was looking through it and they had massage being offered i came and started having massages and then spare tire came they wanted to get involved with the East End community. They asked me if I would be interested in taking part. It's 
Spare Tire is a theater, um, okay. and the person who was running Spare Tire at the moment, when we finished the program, she asked me if I would join the group, and that was it. That's how I got involved. So let's talk a bit about the computer program. What, what does the session entail? So we kind of worked on like a one-on-one model, so there would be one young person, in quotes, and one older person, in quotes. Obviously part of the project is yeah about technology and stuff but part of the project is about intergenerational friendships basically because when you work with people and smartphones like your entire life in some ways is or can be like filtered through your smartphone digital technology is so pervasive in some ways that you end up learning a lot about someone just from talking to them about their smartphone so we try and make sure it's like the same pair over the weeks however many weeks people come Mm. normally we would all turn up here on a wednesday afternoon and we have around an hour one-on-one session and each volunteer would see two or three different people and then yeah and they bring their problems or queries to you yeah pretty much and we did do a few more like online classes type thing about security stuff uh which is a big issue because it's all very well teaching someone or showing someone how to use something but technology has some dangers associated with it and you need to be aware of how people might not have that instinct it's important to foster that and make people aware of what can go wrong and it's it's stuff that you don't really think about like we had one um gentleman that we were working with and a lot of what we were doing was like how to use google which is great because then you have so much information at your fingertips but unfortunately he googled all of the medication that he was on there are some things on the internet which list all of the side effects of the medication in quite gory detail so basically he stopped taking a lot of his medication and we had to be like okay <laughs> let's like talk about how you can't always believe everything that you read on the internet and i mean i think in some ways that reflects poorly on us that we didn't spot that coming um but it really was a big wake-up call that we also have a responsibility towards people and and making sure that they understand how to filter information yeah. that's on the internet it's something that we think about a lot i mean we kind of give the volunteers some like basic training about how to teach technology and one of the things we talk about is digital intuition which is that people of the younger generation who've grown up with smartphones and computers often have a lot of knowledge Mm. about those things that is very implicit like they can't explicitly explain Mm. how they know that this is what this button does and one of those things is that in general younger people tend to have this intuition about what information on the internet is more likely to be accurate and what is more likely to be potentially either misleading or one-sided in some ways if you haven't grown up with the internet you've missed out on that intuition well i was listening was it last night or yesterday to there was this chap very handsome fellow <laughs> and people are using his picture and using it to, to, yes or whatever you call it and this woman from sweden or denmark or wherever saw this chap that he's a doctor and he's, she said oh gosh he's handsome blah blah that that for me would ring bells right away <laughs> so anyway she wrote back and they wrote and he wrote and then he's the person said he was setting up a, a center somewhere abroad in cyprus or he had whatever and that he was going over there 
to finish it off. Then the next thing she got, it got a message saying, you know, I've run out of money. Can you send me? And so on. And she said, but I'm a single woman with my child, blah, blah, blah. She still sent money to the tune of 3000 oh. And I just thought you were very lonely. So then Rab Wilding was telling you how to fish, to, to, get, to, to go into somewhere to see if other people, uh, you know, he's on other side. The internet is good, but you have to be really very skillful. I was just going to talk about some of the benefits of this program, but that's definitely one of them. The internet safety, and then, as you say, the social aspect. I think the pandemic, I mean, it's quite obvious, but the pandemic really showed, I think, how like technology has come to permeate everything, and there are a lot of services that are becoming more and more difficult to access if you're not online and something we've had a lot of was that people would come because their gp was sending them text messages get your vaccine or get a test or whatever and the text message was just say book online and then have a link you had to book online and a lot of the people that needed that most could not do that this is what bothered me i i said everything you hear is communication there's not just one form of communication. Why are they not thinking laterally? I mean, when my consultant rang, it was a, a phone, you know, consultation. And I said, look, Prof, I don't like this. So he said, he said, Alma, I feel as though I'm in a call center. <laughs> and he said, I don't like it either. Something we really try to emphasize is making technology work for you mm. and not the other way around. Mm. In that, I think a lot of people of all ages feel that technology is kind of like the ruling thing and you have to do technology in the way that it dictates. For example, young people have to be on social media because yes. everyone else is, so I don't have a choice. I think we're really trying to say, like, you do have a choice as long as if you have the knowledge to use it, you can be more empowered to use it in the way that you want. It doesn't have to dictate your life and dictate your way of communicating with people as long as you, like, think about the way in which you're using it. You see, it. because at work, everybody's on WhatsApp apart from me. I have a mobile phone. I don't even know the number, but I'm I'm not using it here. And the girls are saying, good on you because everybody, every minute somebody pinging about yeah. something. Every month I run out of data on my phone. Right. And every month I look forward to it and I feel so much lighter and freer. Yeah. And I, I think that's such a good point. One of the other ways of well-being, right, is mindfulness. Yes. Like, I'm also trained to be a mindfulness teacher, so like mindfulness is something that I've done for a long time. And I think the relationship between mindfulness and technology is super interesting. Your phone tends to just condense your vision into this very small tunnel of this like portal into another world, which is basically taking you away from what's happening yeah. now. And one of the ways to deal with that is to try and be a bit more mindful. I did computers for the terrified. <laughs> it, you know, summer courses, yeah. I did it at Nottingham University. I went up for the week and there are loads of things that they put on and you can visit here. But during the day, you have like three hours of computer work and things like that. And the chap was superb. And But he showed us pictures of his daughter. She was no more than two. And she was already ripping apart the computer and trying to put it back together. <laughs> you know, do, doing all that. Oh, my God. One of the hardest things about teaching technology is trying to get people to break out of their normal ways mm -hmm. of doing things and be like, this is an easier way. <laughs> do you remember, wasn't it you that we, you were like, 
game and you were like, Lily, I really want to record the message on my voicemail, like the outgoing message. I have no idea how to do it and all this stuff. I was like, oh, okay. We listened to the message and it was Alma being like, hello, this is Alma. <laughs> this is my voicemail. And I was like, did you know that you had done I had no idea, none whatsoever. I don't know how it was accessed. I don't know which button I pressed. That reminded me of the first time I picked up a mobile phone. It was left on the tube train in on Milan Station, and they were the big heavy ones, you know. So I picked it up, and I thought somebody's left their mobile phone. I will leave it at Haroldwood Station. And I told them, if the person rings, just tell them where it is at the station. You know, tell them to come and collect it. The phone went at Romford. And I, I said, Jesus, this phone is ringing. And I was pressing everything. <laughs> and then I heard, hello? So I said, hello? <laughs> he said, who is this? I said, who are you? <laughs> So I'm talking loudly and people are hearing this. So they started laughing. He said, this is Rashid. So I, he said, that is my phone. I said, yes, I picked it up and I'm going to leave it at Haroldwood Station so you can come and collect it. I said, where are you? He said, I have a shop in Whitechapel. So that end of conversation, he knew where to come to get it. We were just leaving Gidea Park and going to Harold when the phone went again, and I couldn't remember which button I pressed, so I was there. <laughs> this person said, um, I, I saw, I could hear a voice. I said, hello? He said, hello. And he said, that is Rashid's phone. I said, yes. He said, what are you doing with it? I said, well, he left it on the train and I'm leaving it. And he said, it's serving right if people take it. He sees to forget for And it was going on and on. Well, he came and he collected it. The following day, a massive bouquet of flowers arrived with a thank you note. So I was really pleased. When I came on, the lady at reception said, Alma, you have a lover. I yes. said, yes. <laughs> it's Rashid. From Rashid. <laughs> Do you both practice learning in your, in your everyday life? You know, you look up to see how to paint a door, how to change the grouting or yeah. whatever. I'm always learning. And I think it's from the convent education, the nun who taught me literature, and she always said, do not waste time. Your time on earth is very limited, and make the most of it. Do as much good as you can. And she was exemplary when it came to showing us how to do good. I feel like I need to hear that. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why you and we got on so well yeah. because I feel exactly the same. Like, I mean, yeah, sometimes you're stressed if you take on many activities, mm. but you can't waste mm -hmm. any time. And also, as a young person, I'm so aware that I'm young. This isn't going to last forever exactly. that I have this much yes. energy and health. Yes. I was reading about this really interesting study the other day. This is called the Nuns Study, and it's about learning in Alzheimer's. Back in the early 2000s, a lot of these nuns basically 
basically agreed to have their psychology and their neurochemistry studied throughout their lives and they use this to basically learn about Alzheimer's and the progression of Alzheimer's and one of the things they found was that all these nuns were constantly doing new things because they, they had a business with the nunnery and they were learning new languages and they were accepting visitors from overseas and when some of them died they agreed to donate their brains for science so they were able to look inside their brains and what they found was that a lot of them had lesions to the extent that if you just looked at their brain you would think this person should be suffering from severe symptoms of Alzheimer's but they didn't have any symptoms and they think it's because in some ways it doesn't matter if part of your brain accumulates damage over time as long as you are forming enough new connections in other parts of your brain that they can um, compensate in some ways it's hopeful but the other thing I wanted to say about learning kind of related to the previous question was I think um, one of the things that we do in this project is teach people to code one of the reasons we do that is because a lot of the what I would called like metacognitive as in learning about how you learn things skills that are involved in like learning to code are really really similar to what you need to learn how to use a smartphone when you've never learned it before and a lot of that is about for example breaking problems down into very small steps not being worried or emotionally stressed by not understanding how something works and sort of having this belief that I can understand this if I keep trying it from different angles and yeah there are certain like ways of thinking that we've really found that really helps because we didn't want to take a whole load of young people and be like oh you're the ones who know how computers work and you don't need to learn anything and you're going to be teaching in a patronizing way yeah we wanted it to be more you've had this experience of learning to code which is really challenging and therefore be aware of how you feel so that when you're teaching someone to use a smartphone you can empathize with them yeah that's really interesting we did a tiny bit of coding in my course they didn't teach us they basically said it's trial and error which (laughs) just certainly said it is but it's terrifying because they're just like right go on do it and you're like I genuinely don't know where to start like I could not tell you the first step here yeah and it's really it's It's really stressful and it makes you hate it and makes you not want it whereas if you get taught the sort of mechanisms to work it out it does become more stepwise and it becomes less stressful that's a really interesting way of looking at it yeah I like the sort of partnership between the two in general what's your top way of looking after your well-being? I don't know. For me, it's good food and all the the sort of activities that I do, things that I like. And then things like, you know, with your hand, um, knitting, crocheting. Um, The other thing is helping people. And I I mean, it doesn't matter who it is. You, You know, if you need help and I can help then I'll do it. I think, I mean, I would say seeing friends, but seeing friends who I have a relationship with where I feel like I can be completely myself Mm. and we mutually accept both the good and the bad. I think Mm. that's very important and mindfulness for me is is very important. Like, I do meditate a lot, um, but on a more broad basis, like, trying to check in how I'm feeling rather than, like... Just when I'm in a situation, whatever it is, if I feel happy or I feel a bit uncomfortable, actually noticing that I feel like that, almost having that relationship with myself, because I think before I would just accept or be a bit passive about everything that was happening. So staying active, what's your top way to stay active? For me, it's exercise. Any form of exercise, as long as I can move from here 
to there, I'm happy. I, I get the rush of endorphins. So you finish and you feel bubbly, you feel happy. As the same with singing, when I come out of having sung, full of energy, I could you know, move a house, yeah. as it were. I would say anything that gets me outside, like swimming. But I also do a lot of dancing, even yeah. though I'm a terrible dancer, because there's something about yes, like moving. Yes, yes. You don't realise that you're doing exercise. Connecting with others. Well, apart from the phone, I love surprising people with visits. The other day, my goddaughter was so stressed. I could hear it in her voice. Her mum was in Denmark, and they were on their own. The husband is busy. One, the little one had to be self-isolating because a child in the class. And I could hear in her voice, so I cooked a beautiful meal. I didn't say I was coming, I just thought, well, I'll drop it off there. Maybe they want to be a better person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, um, yeah, like all the normal ways, but I think one way is for me is like understanding that when you're with people, like it doesn't mean you're necessarily connecting with them. Something I really tried to work on a lot is just being really open with people mm. telling people stuff about yourself because even if that makes you a little bit vulnerable mm. being honest about the things you struggle with mm. people will also open up to you you can be on your own and be happy and you could be in a crowd and be so lonely yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm a giver and it doesn't matter who you are if I see that you're in trouble and in need I will try and help as much as I can and that's how we were brought up. Don't think about yourself. Just give and, you know, things will happen. The computer project has been, to be honest, I yeah. feel like it's given more to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. honestly, it's been so heartwarming when you come in and you see the session and everyone yeah. is, like, chatting about yeah. different things. But, yeah, I think I've always done a lot of volunteering. It doesn't feel like giving because you just, yeah, get a lot yeah. from it. Finally, mindfulness. How do you stay mindful? Yeah, I mean, mindfulness, like, in a more formal way is something that I've been really interested in for a long time. And for me, mindfulness isn't, like, so much a formal thing. It's, like, a way of thinking. Like, I always felt with the computer sessions, sometimes it could be quite chaotic and there were all these things that were going on or things that were happening or something was breaking. <laughs> and, like, it's very easy to just get swept up in that. Yeah. But I would always try and take just a little bit of a moment to just notice mm. everything. And then you feel, like, this little bubbly thing inside. Just cultivate that for a moment and, mm. like, allow it to be there because life can be quite difficult. It's easy to get caught up in that and to not give yourself a moment to notice the really precious mm. precious things you know looking at if it's the individual whether it's a patient or something thinking what is it that they want that I can help them with because people don't always come out and tell you <laughs> what it is yeah. you have to drag it out but I think at my age you know I've learned so much and I think we need a lot more people just to do nursing for six weeks and then they'll think what am I grumbling about so there we have it. Thank you so much, Lily and Alma. I honestly left that conversation feeling pretty inspired and I hope you finish 
feeling that way too. If you would like to hear more about the nun study that Lily mentioned in this episode, I'm going to link some resources in the notes alongside our social media handles. So if you have anything you would like to tell us, any feedback or any requests for future episodes, perhaps you would like to get involved, let us know on Twitter or on Facebook or send us an email, however is best for you. And don't forget that if you can on the platform you are listening on, give us a subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and it lets us know that you are enjoying it. Uh, So in the next episode, in a fortnight's time, the 23rd, I believe, of December, we will be having a Christmas special episode and I will be chatting to Pat and Carol about their Christmas traditions and hopefully we will get some other people from Linkage Plus involved to tell us about how they celebrate this time of year. So I will see you then. <laughs>